Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gray Zone. It's me, Max Blumenthal, here with my colleague and co-host, Aaron Mate. And we've got a special guest today who I think needs no introduction. Uh, and we're just going live as well on Rockfin, so everyone can watch this at rockfin.com at Max Blumenthal. Um, we've got Matt Taibbi with us, uh, journalist Matt Taibbi. That's pretty much all the introduction I need and, and matttaibbi.substack.com. Um, welcome, Matt. How are you doing? Oh, thanks. thanks for having me, Max. Aaron, good to see you again. Good to see you too. Well, Matt, you've, you've been in the, the news a lot. I saw the British tabloid, The Sun, I guess it's a Murdoch tabloid, had an article, Who is Matt Taibbi? Really? Yeah. I, I think it was published in the last 48 hours. So soon you're going to have paparazzi. You might already have that. But uh, I mean, this is, you know, what you've been doing is, is huge. I'm sorry the much of the left has ignored it. I don't know why. But we're definitely paying close attention to it at the gray zone. The Twitter files you've been covering, I think, have vindicated a lot of things that Aaron and I have been saying and revealed some new details that are uh, explosive and hilarious. Yeah, it's hard to say which is which, which, which is more, right? I mean, sometimes you don't know whether to laugh or or uh, be horrified, but or 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 both. But uh, I, I would say, like, the first thing for me was that it was just very psychologically um, helpful because I thought <laughs> I was crazy for all these years, and the first time I started seeing these files, um, you know, in print, saying all these things that I just that I think we all suspected. Um, it was really a relief. Uh, so, yeah. Um, well, bef before we get into that and, and, and into the sp specifics, um, including the latest thread, which me and Aaron just find hilarious. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you about the process by which you got these files and how you go about collating them and determining, first of all, what to ask for, what to look for and what to report. So I, without being, without talking out of school too much about some of the arrangements that I might have had, um, in terms of like attribution and think you know, that sort of thing, um, I didn't go to them. I, I was I was approached, uh, you know, by Twitter, and um, that was I was the first person, uh, and the basically the the original idea was just to open up everything that was at Twitter. Uh, um, the original story was going to be about um, the release of the, the the blocking of the Hunter Biden story. Now, here, here's where I should talk about. I, I guess my thought going into this whole process was: Wouldn't it be fascinating to find out what kind of a relationship companies like Twitter might have with <clears throat> you know the federal government if they are told by the White House to to or by the FBI to lay off stories that would be it would be great if we could learn that and so yeah. i picked i picked the hunter biden story thinking that that's where we, we might see it um if it existed um it turned out it wasn't in that first batch um and that was maybe because as we subsequently found out that batch was um, being reviewed by the deputy general counsel and former fbi uh, general counsel jim baker uh, plus an outside law firm. And um, once those folks exited the scene, uh, then we had a new regime that involved um, 
basically all there was there were some other reporters involved by then and we would we would send out um requests to an offsite attorney in the company uh and then they would turn over those requests fairly quickly uh so we can't say without absolute certainty what we're getting what we're not getting um but what i would say is my instinct is that they're turning this stuff over so fast that they couldn't possibly be collating it um that much or 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 that intently Okay. Um, Aaron, but, feel free to jump in. Yeah. And just quickly on that, like the, the, these would be the, the way we would do it would be like a very broad search request. We would identify four or five executives we thought we were, were important executives. And then we would ask for search terms like, um, you know, Russia or uh, um, julian assange things like that right like yeah. we, we, we and we would see what would come up and then sometimes if something came up we would ask for to follow up on that and was anything off limits and also people in the chat are I mean, a number of commenters are asking if there's a way to release the source material the way wikileaks did uh I, that's been discussed um i'm, I'm sure that's po that's a possible um uh, ending to this whole thing I, I think the concern um from the company's point of view is that is that they still inherit the liability of the old company uh so the, the lawyers right, in this situation right. i don't i don't feel for them they're in a very difficult spot because they've they've essentially been instructed to do everything that they went they've, they've spent their whole lives being told um not to do like you know give important damning documents to journalists willy-nilly and um so that's possible but i think you know that's this, that that decision is a little bit above my pay grade i think right okay mm -hmm. so let's get into uh some of the latest threads matt which have to do with russiagate and just to catch people up on the story so far, because uh, Max and I covered this last week uh, on our Gray Zone live stream of what's been revealed. The short story is basically the files, the Twitter files reveal a lot of pressure on Twitter from Democratic Party operatives and U.S. intelligence officials to basically validate Russiagate, to come up with material that can uh, justify the claims that Democrats and intelligence officials have been making that Russia is waging the sweeping social media influence operation. And the theme that comes back again and again and again is Twitter tries very, very hard to find something, to find these Russian bots, to find Russian actors being responsible for uh, misinformation and for uh, viral uh, claims, but they just can't find anything. And that is very frustrating to the Democratic operatives and the intelligence officials that are putting pressure on them. So the, one of the latest threads you have is about this, ha this hashtag release the memo. And that had to do with basically back in 2018, you have some oversight being done by the House Intelligence Committee under the leadership of Devin Nunes. And they uh, wrote a memo detailing serious abuses by the FBI in their surveillance warrant applications on Carter Page, who was a Trump campaign volunteer. And Nunes uh, and Cash Patel, who was working for him, basically discovered that the FBI was lying to the FISA court. It was hiding the fact that the Steele dossier was funded by the Clinton campaign 
even though it was citing the Steele dossier as its main source for wiretaps of a Trump campaign volunteer, Carter Page. And also was lying about the fact that it hadn't corroborated any of the information in the Steele dossier. And so Nunes wrote a very critical memo about that. And for that, he was pilloried by Democrats and the media. And there was a hashtag called Release the Memo, which is basically encouraging the release of the Nunes memo. And at the time, you had something called the Hamilton 68 dashboard, which Max wrote about. And Max, you can say more about this in a second. Basically saying that this release the memo hashtag and this criticism of the Steele dossier, that all this was really the work of these nefarious Russian actors. So you have now new information about how Twitter went and looked for some information to substantiate this and came up empty. So um, talk to us about what happened here. And if I've missed anything or got anything wrong, uh, please feel free to to correct me. No, that that's that's pretty much exactly right. And I think the really the really damning thing about this is that you know Twitter for the most part the this was 2018, so they were already um, used to this cycle of being asked to uh, verify claims of uh, foreign interference. But in this case. It wasn't even like, well, we only found a few. It was literally, we didn't find any. Um, and there was a, uh, there's an incredible quote in there. And just give you, if you give me a moment, I can find it. This is Yoel Roth, uh, who is the head of trust and safety at, um, at Twitter and basically kind of the chief censor who, you know, had emerged as kind of a villain in, in this story because he was, very aggressive um, in you know tw- uh, censoring uh, a lot of conservative material, but here he looks at the stuff and he says, "I just reviewed the accounts that posted the first fifty tweets with the hashtag release uh, with hashtag release the memo, and none of them show any signs of affiliation to Russia." Um, and he talks about how I think we can push back very strongly on this. Uh, there's just one email after the other where they talk about how they're not finding, not only are they not finding much, they're not finding anything. And they tell this to uh, the staffers. They tell this to Diane Feinstein's staff. They tell this to Richard Blumenthal's staff. They tell this to Adam Schiff's staff and it doesn't have any effect. They just go ahead and, and run with this. They, they publish uh, public letters about Russian influence and then there's just an army of private media organizations, none of whom responded to requests for comment, by the way, which is kind of amazing. Um, <laughs> including and, your former employer. Including my former employer. Uh, and, and, and you know, uh, this was a story that only ever had one source. The source did not reveal the methodology. Uh, and everybody went with it. And, and and it spread beyond release the memo. I mean, I think as we all remember, it went on to things like Parkland shooting, gun control now. I mean, you know, they were blaming Russians for, for boosting all kinds of hashtags. And it was all based on this same ridiculous uh, methodology. Yeah, and here we have... Uh tweet by you as a result reporters from the ap to politico to nbc to rolling stone were used to write a column did a Mm -hmm. podcast with katie halper continue to hammer the russian bots theme despite a total lack of evidence and then you can see here 
um, release the memos. Now, the top trending hashtag among Russian bots and trolls on Twitter and other platforms, according to the German Marshall Fund's Hamilton 68 website, which tracks Russian influence. If I'm not mistaken, that's NBC and Kendallanian. So, you know, you can draw your own conclusions there. <laughs> well, for those, that don't mean, know, for those that don't know, Kendallanian is the uh, NBC employee who was caught sending his stories to the CIA for approval before he published them. That's who Kendallanian is. But Max, why don't you tell us about Hamilton 68, this dashboard that NBC was relying on uh, to parrot this claim that all of this was just the work of Russia? Because you've done a lot of work on this. Yeah. I mean, this was my hobby horse back in 2017, 2018, because whatever happened in 2016, it, this was so obviously absurd that right. Russian bots. By the way, in, right? <laughs> was, I mean, wasn't I, it so obvious? It was so obviously fake. And this organization comes out of nowhere, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which hosts the Hamilton 68. And it's said to be the German Marshall Fund's uh, initiative. The German Marshall Fund, first of all, is this organization that has offices in Washington and, and Germany, and its job is to basically encourage Germany to be a bigger stooge of the U.S. and to be more warlike, but not in support of uh, goals that, you know, World War II goals, but more like post-war goals. So that's what they are. But there were other organizations that came in and funded ASD, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, USAID, which is a CIA cutout. Uh, you had Omidyar funding it. You had um, um, Sheryl Sandberg's organization. She's also very close to the Democrats. And you had all of these EU uh, foreign ministries sponsoring it. So it was obviously an intelligence front connected to the Democrats, kind of like a regime intelligence front. And they created this dashboard called Hamilton 68. And they brought in these researchers who were a collection of complete cranks uh, one of whom I wrote a piece about uh, in 2017, Clint Watts, after he testified before Congress that a Sputnik article had convinced people in Turkey to attack the in U.S. in Cyrillic Air Base. It was a completely fake, <laughs> completely fake testimony. His whole testimony was a collection of lies, including some that were later discredited in a court case, uh, a libel case. Don't want to go too much into the details except to say Clint Watts is a, a giant fraud. Uh, his background is suspicious. His uh, And he was working with other people like Andrew Weisberg, who most people might not have heard of, but he is a veteran online harasser. He mostly harassed anti-war elements during the Iraq war, it would destroy their reputations online. And he was recruited to create the model for Hamilton 68 based on his Kremlin trolls website, which basically took alternative media outlets and would uh, essentially blacklist them and give them a ranking of who is the biggest Kremlin troll. And that seems to also have been the basis or the blueprint for the proper not website, which you can mm -hmm. talk about. But anyway, all these um, sick figures and hacks came together <laughs> to provide all this fake research where they were claiming that hashtags on their Sci their scientific looking dashboard hashtags like take a knee Colin Kaepernick's campaign in the NFL to protest police brutality and the oppression of black people were Russian active measure vehicles being pushed by bots online. Then you had people like Nina Jankowicz go out in the media and say the Russian bots are trying to divide us and pit our society against itself uh, so that we are politically destabilized. And the whole media, New York Times, especially the New York Times. I mean, that's the shocker for me that they went there. 
They were feasting um, on a, all this Hamilton 68 stuff. And you would even have Senator Senator James Lankford, Republican uh, Uniparty Senator from South Carolina. He he was featured, qu quoted in one of the first paragraphs of a front page New York Times story claiming that take the knee and the park and some hashtag related to the Parkland shooting were Russian active measures that Russian bots were behind these. But Matt, as you exposed here in the in this thread, the whole thing was made up. It was completely made up. Yeah, and and Twitter executives had a lot to say about Hamilton 68. There's a lot of internal dialogue about, like, we need to have a strategy yeah. about uh, Hamilton 68. Um, there, there's, there's a section where one of their senior communications officials um, talks about Hamilton 68. I can, I'm going to squint here for a moment while I read it off the screen. but um, I'm looking for it. It's a long thread. Essentially, it says Hamilton 68 uh, does not release the accounts that make uh, make up their dashboard. So no one can verify the accounts um, they include are, in fact, Russian automated yeah. accounts. Uh, I encourage and then, and then there's, this is like an off the record guidance to reporters. I encourage you to be skeptical of Hamilton 68 uh, and their take on this, which, as far as I can tell, is the only source on this story. Uh, so think about this they had to have told this to any reporter who called and there were dozens of print stories about this and, and basically i was one of those reporters by the way oh um, oh excellent uh what did they tell you she emily horn told me emily horn there you go yeah that, that was uh, that was that was her quote mm -hmm. yeah well she she told me uh well we think that you know, this is kind of a gray zone. And she I was also asking her why they were offboarding RT and uh, RT's uh, advertising revenue and, and basically transferring it elsewhere or like stealing it, basically stealing it. And so she framed this whole issue of Russian bots and RT as this kind of gray zone where they essentially can't be sure. And so they can't take any risk of uh, being infiltrated by Russia. And then she proceeded to tell me that she was uh, former Obama NSC communications right. director, which was mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sh she did have that background. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, there were a couple of White House jobs that she had. Um, but this but is amazing. I mean, they knew, they knew at Twitter that this whole thing was a fraud. As you can see, she knew it, even though she wouldn't, and she wouldn't say so to me. Uh, but I could sense uh, a sort of nervousness. They, they, so basically, Twitter never called this out in public. It would have shut the whole thing down. And then this allowed the senators, the Cold War Democrats, uh, Die Fi, Dianne Feinstein, Richard Blumenthal, um, I think oh, there, were, there were some others, to continue to release these letters and to badger Twitter. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. There, there there were there were other um, other members who kind of piggybacked on the public statements of the first three, right? It was Blumenthal, Schiff, and Feinstein. Uh, but then you had people like Eric Swalwell who would like refer to it. Um, but yeah, inter internally they were. I I think Twitter made a huge mistake. You can see them uh, sort of baldly talking about it, right? This is a comms play by ASD. Uh, in other words. This is the Alliance for Securing Democracy trying to get trying to get into headlines. Then right. they say things like, um, you know, Blumenthal isn't looking for for nuanced solutions. He just wants credit for pushing uh, uh, us on this. 
so they understand the whole thing is is a PR ploy by all these actors, and they could have probably driven a stake through this early if they had given on the record guidance uh, to any of these actors, but they they wouldn't do it. And um, this is a consistent pattern with the company. Um, often. Um, I think they deferred to outside counsel. Like there were firms that they brought in. Uh, they, they brought yeah. in also Burson Marsteller, the, the crisis management firm. They brought in Devois and Plimpton, Plimpton, the law firm. And they consistently advised the company to, to downplay, um, you know, the sort of skepticism about the Russian interference thing and instead to act defensive uh, and to and to pledge, uh, you know, further cooperation with authorities about this stuff, and that ended up being fatal for them because they ended up just in an endless cycle of answering questions like this. Yeah. So you highlighted a section. We take seriously any activity that may represent an an abuse of our platform. That's kind of their talking point. Mm. That's what I got from Emily Horn, and it's just blather. It doesn't mean anything. It's it essentially means we have to err on the side of caution. And we're being cautious of the state, the senators who are on an intelligence committee that's influenced by the CIA and of the corporate media that serves as their megaphone. Right. And let me just uh, stress again why these actors were so determined to discredit this hashtag, release the memo and discredit the memo that Devin Nunes wrote. So this is yeah. early 2018. And Max, I have a tweet about this at the top of our rundown, if you want to pull it up. Sure. It's early 2018. And at this point, Russiagate's in full swing. And Russiagate hasn't really taken any hits yet. The only hit that Russiagate's really taken at that point is that it's a few months earlier, in late 2017, we finally learned, after a year of them lying about it, that the Clinton campaign was funding the Steele dossier. So before that, we've been told that Steele was this intrepid British spy who happened to come across the Trump-Russia plot and tried to warn the country. Late 2017, after the work of Cash Patel and the House Intelligence Committee under Devin Nunes, we learned that actually, oh, the Clinton campaign was secretly paying for it. Okay, And then comes early 2018, this memo written by Cash Patel and Devin and Nunes. The Senate Judiciary Committee had, had a little bit of a role in that too, but yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So but the point is, Russiagate at that point is pretty unscathed, except for the Steele dossier thing. And then, this and then this memo comes along where Devin Nunes looked at the FBI surveillance warrant applications on Carter Page and they've discovered this relies extensively on the Steele dossier. And there's two main problems with that. One, they're hiding from the FISA court that the Clinton campaign is paying for it. And two, they're hiding that none of this is corroborated, that this is all fiction. And they're misleading the FISA court into thinking that it's been substantiated. So Nunez, Cash Patel write this report. And they're trying to put it out and they get attacked for it. If you remember this back then, it was a huge scandal where, oh, my God, I can't believe they're going after our intelligence community. The FBI puts out a statement <laughs> saying if this comes out, this could do grave damage to our national security. Devin Nunes is being mocked on cable news. Finally, it does come out. And uh, like MSNBC and those types have to pretend as if there's nothing damning in it. But look, many years later, the same people who were attacking the memo have to admit that it was right. So Max, click on that photo and, and I'll read this quote. This is from David Ignatius. He is basically a close ally of the intelligence community, a columnist for the Washington Post, has a lot of sources inside US. He's the, pers he's the person to put out the Flynn, the Flynn story. That's right. The Flynn mm -hmm. story was leaked exactly. So when when uh, in the early days of Russia Gate in early 2017, link. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. He was given highly classified information of a, of a conversation between Flynn, the Russian ambassador, and that led to Flynn being ousted. And of course, the contents of that story, like everything else from Russiagate, were egregiously distorted, as I've talked about elsewhere. But the point is, Ignatius is a close ally of U.S. intelligence officials. But look at what he had to admit many years later. This is in 2020, I believe, he's writing, way after the fact. He says, Cash Patel from the House Intelligence Committee sometimes hit pay dirt. He was the main author of a January 2018 House Intelligence Committee report recounting abuses by the FBI in its application for electronic surveillance of former Trump campaign aide Carter Page, though Democrats at the time were reluctant to agree. And that's a very polite way of saying the Democrats were viciously attacking this memo. They were a traitor. Yeah. yeah, they were outraged and they were trying to get it blocked. Uh, facts that emerged later showed serious abuses in the Page investigation. And a former FBI a lawyer pleaded guilty last year to falsifying information that was used to apply for warrants from the FISA court. So basically, this is why Dianne Feinstein and Adam Schiff wanted to suppress not only the release of the memo, but even hashtags calling for the release of the memo and trying to attribute it to Russia because it was so damning to their conspiracy theory about Trump and Russia and the FBI's conduct in the process. And, and don't forget the um, moveon.org, right? And there, there was another organization. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Um, they actually started a... Uh, a movement to have um, to have Nunes removed from office just <laughs> just for writing this memo. Uh, so that that was how insane this uh, yeah, here it is kind of McCarthyite uh, thing was. I mean, it was completely crazy at the time. <laughs> wow. We the people wow. demand that Devin Nunes be removed from the House <laughs> Intelligence Committee. We demand a special prosecutor and an independent investigation. So they have to investigate for doing him oversight. For, for doing yeah. oversight. Unbelievable. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this, and you're right. This, this was a crucial moment in the whole thing. Like, I, I think the Russia Gets story, which we all, you know, all three of us, I think, um, you know, we were, um, deeply skeptical of from the beginning and very frustrated about but there were there were some key moments there was, you know there was the moment in january early january 7 of 2017 when there was the quote-unquote leak um of you know the that donald trump had been presented with blackmail material and this kind of let the p tape story out and a whole bunch of other things and kind of popularized the steel Steel dossier. Then there was the March 2020 thing where um, where Schiff held hearings where they released news that the um, the FBI was investigating Trump, even though the investigation they, they didn't. What they didn't tell us is that the investigation was totally cold at that point. Um, then, as Aaron, as you mentioned, there's the belated you know revelation that this was opposition research by the Clinton campaign, which I think should have shut down the whole thing at that point. Um, but then this was key, the, like this, this early January 18, 2018 moment, um, was, was, a, was a really key moment because it was the first time they, they, they really used this technique of, uh, kind of blasting somebody with this guilt by association. You, you're a Russian operative, um, uh, press, uh, barrage. And it was, it was really, really effective. So, you know, to, to see what was actually going on underneath um, at, at the time, 
should be deeply embarrassing to everybody who was involved in this. But um, you know, as we know, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna go near it. But still, yeah. Um, one one of the most ridiculous. Uh, I'm looking for the tweet. It's it, it's easy to get lost in all these threads. I know. I know. I'm sorry the, about that. Yeah. One of the most uh, ridiculous stories that came out was that Russian bots were um, Russian bots pounced after the Parkland shooting. Oh, this was the New yeah. York Times. This was a headline. I'll yep. find the tweet in a second. But I guess my question about this is this is a this is a major New York Times story. It, it was published by I think it was like Scott Shane or some other. I no, it was, it was Shira Frankel. Oh, Shira Frankel. Uh, OK, mm -hmm. I, I knew her when she was covering uh, Israel Palestine from McClatchy. And she uh -huh. was, you know, trying to be a serious reporter. She went to do, um, you know, online and co the cover the tech world and cyber stuff for BuzzFeed. And then she got promoted to the New York Times. She, and, and no one's responding to you. You've reached out to these outlets. Shouldn't she be punished for that story? Shouldn't this be retracted? Shouldn't this be an embarrassment? I mean, this is such an indictment of media culture that they can just get away with publishing stories that are absolutely fake and there's no consequence. Especially that story, because if you if you look at it, they didn't just use, um, uh, you know, the Alliance for Securing Democracy as a source. They used new knowledge as a source. Oh, yeah. Which okay. which um, which ended up which their own newspaper ended up outing for creating the appearance, you know, the, the phony appearance of a Russian influence campaign in, in, a, in an, an Alabama Senate race. Scott, right, Shane, right, they, right. Flag. They, they interfered in the Alabama Senate race by putting out bots to boost the opponent. Of, what was the name? Roy Moore. Yeah. Um, Roy Moore. Yeah. So basically, so, so, okay, here we, we have the, the New York times story. It's Shira Frankel and Daisuke Wakabayashi. Yeah. He didn't um, answer me either. Mm-hmm. And they're they're citing new knowledge, and basically they quote Jonathan the guy Morgan, Jonathan Morgan, mm -hmm. chief executive of New Knowledge, a company that tracks. This is pretty typical for them to hop on breaking news like this. The bots focus on anything that's divisive for Americans almost systematically. Okay, this guy should be a notorious character if he had he not been working. Had he been working for the Republicans, uh, I don't know. He might have criminally investigated because what he and his crew did in Alabama was one of the most devious campaigns I've seen in recent years to create, first of all, the impression that Russian bots supported Roy Moore. They literally bought a bunch of fake Russian bot accounts and then had them uh, push pro Roy Moore hashtags. And then they came out and went to uh, NBC and other outlets and said, uh, you know, Roy Moore is supported by Russia. Here's the proof. And, you know, I think they went on MSNBC and said, Roy Moore is being, but these were all fake bots bought by a Democratic firm. Then they uh, uh, boosted the Facebook page of an unknown lawnmower salesman who was running as a third party <laughs> candidate, a right wing third party candidate, in order to pull votes away from Judge Roy Moore. And that whole election was so shady. I mean, Roy Moore. I, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely no Roy Moore fan. This yeah, is the guy it was, he, he, he was the guy who wanted to put the Ten Commandments like in every uh, like courthouse. Yeah, right. Or, yeah. Mm. I mean, 
Why not put like the 638 commandments, like, including, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have to be stoned was to death an alleged blasphemy. But, also was but in any case, predator. yeah, well, yeah, he liked to hang out around high schools and pick up girls yeah. in his like hot rod back in the 60s. Or that, that was the story. I don't know. I think it was his wife that he met there. But anyway, I mean, that's classic oppo research, Aaron. That's like stuff we're used to in politics. What they did was so shady and then remember roy moore was way ahead at the last second and then all of a sudden here comes doug jones surging ahead in the last second and doug jones wins the democrats won a special election but it was an election in which uh, a russian active measure actually a russian style active measure was used based by on, us by us <laughs> yeah yeah unbelievable right russian and and style. yeah and and, and it's a, it's unbelievable that that happened. B, it's unbelievable that the New York Times did that story, uncovering it, and then didn't go back and clean up their their own coverage that had used new knowledge as a source. Yeah, new yeah. knowledge was also uh, involved in in compiling reports for Congress, if I remember correctly, and and there was some testimony. Um, you know, I have to go back and look at that, but, um, but I, I seem to remember that. Uh, but certainly the Times had an obligation at that point to go back and say, okay, we got we to re-examine some of these stories. And th this, this one was particularly crazy because they were asserting not only that release the memo was um, a Russian op, but that the Russians were trying to sow division and you know, anything to widen the divide, as the authors put it. Yeah. Um, you, know, uh, you know, over the Parkland shooting, uh, you know, gun control now, like, um, you know, this is, this is just absurd. Um, I wasn't able to find uh, internal uh, discussions about Parkland shooting, but I did find it about Schumer shutdown, where they, you know, they're definitively saying there, there's no, there's no Russian anything there. Uh, right. So, you know, the the company again, um, they, they knew uh, that that this whole thing was was um, you know some kind of a political operation, and I'm sure they were telling they had to have been telling the these news organizations uh this isn't right and uh and yet they ran it anyway which which should tell us a lot about how um how corrupt this whole thing was i actually think uh going going back to the alabama new knowledge operation david corn was one of the reporters who uh, reported on <laughs> russia supporting judge roy moore i mean there's well, another does that surprise you i mean <laughs> jesus well, the, the, I mean, the whole premise of his book with Michael Isakoff was the Steele dossier. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the book called, Aaron? Collusion or no, that uh, was uh, Russian Roulette. Russian Roulette. Russian Roulette. Yeah. yeah. Collusion was Luke Harding's book. He, he has a new book out about Ukraine after his big success uh, in his interview with you where he stormed <laughs> off when you asked him to provide any piece of evidence to support the title of his book and he couldn't. So he slammed his laptop down. Still one but, of the great all time moments in internet history. I think. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but, but David Korn, I mean, he's never, and Isakoff kind of took responsibility. He did. He did. But he did. Kind of. He did. Kind, of. kind of, but he at least yeah. answered questions about it, which I think was, he absolutely, you know, he stands virtually alone in that, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, uh, group of media professionals who push Russiagate to actually answer critical questions about it. There's no one else who's repeatedly subjected themselves to scrutiny like Isakov has to his credit and has retracted some of it. I mean, for example, and, 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 and has admitted some mistakes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so what but does look, it say to you about the? You'll go ahead. I'm just saying, like, this is a no-brainer for a news organization. If you have, if you have a source that's been blown up in your own pages as as lying, um, yeah. you you've got to go back and clean up those other stories at the, at minimum. Uh, and this one was, you know, this this was a really bad story. I mean, if you if you go back and look at the panoply of uh, inf influential Russiagate stories that. Um, that moved things along this, this New York times piece really legitimized a lot of this kind of reporting this like, Oh, there are bots circling around this topic. So therefore like Russians want this, um, right. Which we right. saw over and over again, um, whether it was the 2020 presidential run of Bernie Sanders or, you know, what it, it didn't matter. We, we, we saw that technique happen a lot. Um, that this was a very influential story in the same way that the that the uh, story from the previous year, um, you know, the repeated contacts with Russian intelligence story that the that the Times did. I, I think that was another big influential story that they never fixed. So, um, yeah, to explain that one quickly, this is February 2017, early days of RussiaGate. The Times puts out a story saying that the U.S. has intercepts of Trump campaign officials having multiple contacts with senior Russian intelligence officials in the lead up to the election. <laughs> it's an unbelievable story. Uh, and four months later, James Comey was asked about it and he had to admit that it was not true. But in, still in the main, it was not true. In the main, it was not true. And, mm -hmm. and later, a few years later, we actually got a declassified memo from Peter Strzok, the top FBI agent on the Trump Russia investigation. He actually annotated that he printed out that time story and annotated it and said, this is not true. We have no evidence of any of this. Despite all of this, the Times has never retracted that story or tried. And in fact, they've even claimed vindication because when the Senate came out with their report saying that Konstantin Kalimnik is a Russian intelligence officer and Kalimnik is a uh, longtime associate of Paul Manafort, the Times said that this vindicates our story, uh, which even putting aside the fact that the Senate intelligence report had no evidence for that claim and that Mueller, which who actually had the uh, intelligence on Kalimnik never made that claim. And the FBI does not call Kalimnik a Russian intelligence officer. Even putting that aside, the Times well, initial story was that was that the Trump campaign was talking to multiple senior Russian intelligence officials. So even if you take on faith the idea that Kalimnik is a spy, which for which there's no evidence for and ample countervailing evidence, even if you take it on faith, the Times story was still not vindicated because it was multiple senior Russian intelligence officials. So that is that is, I think, the Honestly, in terms of all the journalistic malpractice in Russiagate, that to me is at the very top. Yeah, that one that one stands out. Yeah. Uh, and it built momentum for a special counsel, which happened a few months later. Absolutely. And again, it was the imprimatur of the times that, you know, it, it gave the whole thing heft, right? It, it, this wasn't just BuzzFeed talking about it. It wasn't just, you know, Rachel Maddow freelancing on TV. This was the New York Times and it researched front page uh you know investigative feature and uh you know they had they had a big impact on this stuff and and it's it's also signaling to to people in congress you know they, they still get the hard copy of the times every morning the times and the post and when they see um on their desk in the morning that this is what the times is saying 
um, it, it tells them, you know, there's there's going to be a political price to pay if I say something else, <laughs> you know, uh, and so so that that was significant. Just just like these these bot stories, actually, as ridiculous as they're going to seem, um, you know, to historians fifty years from now, we're gonna we're gonna look back at them and think they're re- absolutely absurd. But and we're going to hear Nina Jankowicz singing as we do. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's going to haunt me in my nightmares that that video. But uh, but no, this this meant I think this meant a lot in, in the moment because it it told us they could get away with all kinds of stuff, and um, it also told us that the that the the tech companies um, knew enough not to to squawk publicly. Uh, mm. So that you know that that was significant also. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's move on to another hilarious aspect of this whole. Uh, the, 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 one of them, I, I would say, the most hilarious thread. And is this the one? Yeah, here it is. It, it relates to um, Shifty Schiff, Adam <laughs> Schiff. I mean, this is amazing. Okay, this is the beginning of the thread just Adam Schiff ban requests. So basically Adam Schiff's office was behind a lot of this, a lot. They were driving the Russiagate related social media censorship campaign and putting in requests for Twitter to ban certain accounts. Which account did they want to ban? They wanted last week that they wanted to ban the journalist, Paul Sperry, who outed the name of the CIA official who was known as the whistleblower in Trump's first impeachment inquiry, who complained about Trump's phone call with Zelensky. So Paul Sperry outed him in real clear investigation. So so Schiff wanted him banned. And he also wanted uh, content, any content on Twitter related to a a staffer on his committee. He also wanted that censored uh, because... Yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, the, you can see actually lower in this thread. Um, th- there's a uh, <laughs> there's a there's a quote about um, how far they went in um, in, in asking for uh, you know for for uh, help with this. Uh, hang on a second, I got I, I want to find it because it's just such a, a crazy uh, thing. Is like, they'll just say anything is QAnon that they want to ban. This is QAnon related. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they said it was QAnon related. And, and you know, the, the logic that they use um, uh, for that is crazy. But they asked for, among other things, like the complete suppression of any and all search results about Mr. Misko, who is one of the sh- staffers for uh, Schiff and other committee staffers. So they wanted that. So this tells me that they knew a lot about how Twitter's um visibility filtering programs work because they can do that they can suppress uh search results yeah and twitter Um, twitter obeyed and said we are uh de-amplifying these accounts which i'm 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 de-amplified i'm sure of it if i were amplified it's like every time john brennan farts and coughs he gets eighty thousand likes he's like exactly Donald Trump leads it his first tweet was like donald trump is the leader of a cacistocracy and it got like seven million likes or something he'd never tweeted before. And so. now, what is the, what is the significance of this guy Misko? Like, why would Adam Schiff want to have search results about him suppressed? Well, Paul Sperry. Uh, so he, he 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 allegedly had a re- the relationship with Eric Cherimella, who was the quote unquote yeah, whistleblower yeah. in the U- yeah. in the Ukraine affair. 
and um, there were multiple tweets uh, that came out that were basically Sperry reporting, um, but the the shift's office wanted any anything to do with Chiramella um, and or Misko's background. Look, there's reporting that Misko has a CIA background. I I haven't uh, confirmed that myself, but that's in some of these tweets. Um, so they were mad about that, but they were also mad about things like, um, you know, you see there's a tweet there. Uh, well, that's what uh, I wanted to bring up. I wanted to bring up this, uh, yeah, go this, ahead. This, yeah. I wanted to bring up the, this one cause this is, this is the most hilarious aspect. So Adam Schiff basically wanted to, uh, take, have Twitter take down tweets, uh, by, a Pete douche parody photo of Joe Biden. Oh, okay. This yeah, is like no, a I know. It's a funny account. Nate's liver commentary. I follow this account and yeah, this, this somehow upset Adam Schiff so much, this photo and this tweet. <laughs> and it's it really, actually I mean, animated. If you, if you, if you, if you look for, if you, if you enter the, the, the tweet, it, it, uh, the tongue kind of moves around a little bit and, uh, <laughs> it's even funnier. Which I mean, is why really... the people of California elected Adam Schiff to spend his time <laughs> taking down tweets like this. This is <laughs> right? a really top issue for voters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Taxpayer resources going to this was on do it. They were doing this during office hours. Yeah. This is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, okay. Here's no, the I... request. <laughs> yeah. DNC and, reached and... out to morning about a different tweet and the same image, but different. Yeah, uh, but so textual context, and it's it's like CC'd to all of these executives. It's this is yeah, no, it's like every that. every senior lawyer in the company had to deal with this. <laughs> um, and like a lot of people have have been critical of the Twitter files in this project because they think that we're quote unquote cherry picking or showing only one side of things. Just to give you an example of um of how this worked. Like I, I ran searches for Yoel Roth, the lawyer Stasha Cardiel, who it turns out I think it feels like she was running the company. Like everybody seems to be deferring to her, even even lawyers uh, technically on uh, ahead of her. Um, there was a policy director named Lauren Culbertson. So I, I picked all the senior um, officials, and then I ran a search for DNC and RNC. Right on the off chance that. There were also requests coming in from the RNC to to get rid of stupid pages, uh, and it, it didn't turn up that like what you get from the DNC is just this pile of requests to get rid of mostly really stupid things like you know people saying you sh hey Republicans go out and vote on Wednesday or whatever it is right yeah um, but. You know, occasionally it's something like this where it's legitimately a parody and they have to take their time out and explain to the DNC that, you know, we don't do that. You know, this is this is like speech and they're not understanding that on the RNC side. I'm not seeing it. Instead, what you see from the RNC are these constant letters saying we're going to sue you if you keep doing this kind of stuff to us. So in other words, whether it's because. The, uh, the Republicans didn't think they, they would get away with it if they were if they wrote to Twitter um, or whether it's because there was a genuine difference in, in how they viewed this kind of thing. There just there just wasn't 
you know, a flip side to the story where you're where you're seeing similarly stupid stuff coming from the Republican side. Well, the Republicans can't call on their buddies inside right. the building like Emily Horn or whoever who used to work for the uh, for Obama. Like, so what other option do they have? Or Jim Baker. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Jim Baker is a perfect example. And just yeah. uh, really quickly, I mean, you found what was it? Was it you who found the tweet? Show, or the, the the file demonstrating that Jim Baker was presiding over uh, censorship and suppression requests from inside Twitter HQ. Uh, you mean you mean about the Twitter files? Yeah. No, that was Barry actually who found that out. Um, okay. So, so she was in the office, and, <laughs> and some employee she she asked about she had made a request about something, and she asked uh, somebody in the office. Hey, what's up with that request? And uh, the employee said, um, "It's coming. I just got to ask Jim." And she's like, "Jim, who?" And she, uh, Barry, did a good job. She she beat it out of this report. This this employee, like, you know, the, a phone number. She calls the phone number, and the voice on the other end of the line finally admits that his name is Jim Baker. And this is this is how we discovered that um, Jim Baker was in the middle of um you know reviewing this material subsequently they they accidentally sent us some other things that um gave me a little bit more of a window like there was an outside law firm that was brought in in addition to jim baker um uh so that had a whole protocol for looking at this and yeah. um but there was kind of a bloodbath after that that, that was all found out let's put it and, and just for those who, for those who don't know jim baker is not the televangelist uh who is jim baker why is this significant he he was a former senior fbi uh, official uh, a lawyer who was general counsel the yeah. yeah he he helped push uh russiagate he helped oversee it and he helped spread around for example in the fbi that fake claim concocted by people working with the Clinton campaign that Trump and Russia were secretly communicating through a bank server, the Alpha Bank server. He was he was very he played a key role in that. And then, as the Twitter he, files he, revealed, he mm-hmm. played a key role in recommending that Twitter block uh, uh, reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop story on the grounds that it could be a Russian operation, which Matt exposed in I think is his first uh, Twitter files threat. Yeah, he he he's in there basically saying, you know, we we have to exercise caution, <laughs> which, yeah. which in in the bizarre upside down world of of this Twitter mo- this content moderation world really meant we we have to clamp down on a legitimate news story, um, and cause ourselves all kinds of PR problems. Um, that was what he meant by exercising caution. So uh, he had no problem. He had no problem sharing with his FBI colleagues, a concocted story that Trump and Russia were communicating through the alpha bank server. He didn't uh, promote any caution then, but finally, when it came to factual reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop, let's, let's exert some caution and, uh, and ban it. He he also testified that he was friends with David Korn and let's not remember. So uh, that, that David Korn was the, the reporter who, who uh, did the second major story um, about the Steele dossier, the, you know, a veteran spy, um, you know, uh, I forget what the rest of the headline was, but it was essentially that, that Russia had the ability to blackmail Trump. Um, That came out on October 31st of 2016. 
So, you know, make of that what you will. The Michael Iskoff did the first story in, in September. And Corn also so, passed Corn also passed a copy of the Steele dossier to the FBI. Yeah. And I I'll have to I don't remember who it was, but it may be possible it was Jim Baker who he gave it to. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know the point is Corn was so concerned about the contents of the Steele dossier and what they meant about a Manchurian candidate compromised by Russia that he shared it with the FBI. Yeah, something about that timeline doesn't quite doesn't quite scan with me because it feels like it could have been going the other direction but but mm. but either way you know like some something's up there you know yeah. I, uh, and so so he 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 landed on his feet quite quickly uh despite being under investigation for leaking um at the FBI uh there's actually a humorous sequence that I took out of another thread where um it, you know, they, they had these industry calls with the DHS and the FBI and some other services, and you, you had to have a security clearance in order to be there. And um, they're asking Baker where his is. And he's like, oh, of course I've got one, you know, because I was, you know, the senior lawyer at the FBI. But actually, he didn't have one because he was under investigation. And he, he kind of pulls this whole like, oh, somebody must have like lost it um there, there's I, i'll publish it eventually it, uh, it, it seemed like it would have been distracting at the time but he he he, he uh was basically trying to to hide from his new employees that um that he had had a security clearance revoked wow <laughs> which is pretty funny <laughs> well uh we're here with journalist Matt Taibbi discussing his reporting on the Twitter files. Uh, Max Blumenthal here with my colleague, co-host Aaron Mate at the Gray Zone. And uh, thanks everybody for all your support and for hitting the like button to help us cheat the YouTube slash Google algorithm because there have not yet been the Google YouTube files. We need to see that. <laughs> we need to see the Wikipedia files. Wikipedia, as one commenter pointed out, does not allow any report um discussion of the twitter files except mainstream media coverage and matt how is mainstream media covering this because i have not seen it reported except by fox news and then sites to its right and how how is the the left and i don't just mean the left by the democrats but the left like the jacobin left that section of the left how have they received this story also there's there's two basic responses to this. I think the left left um, is mad at me for uh, what they what they call doing PR for the richest man in the world, um, and you know, and they can't get past that. Uh, so I, I wish they would, because if they if they thought about it for a second, they would realize that this story is about people who are more powerful than the richest man in the world. This is the right. story is about major institutions like, you know, that are going to be here um, long after Elon Musk departs the scene. Uh, it's about the FBI, you know, uh, DHS, CIA, NSA, you know, all, all these agencies. And um, it's about know, the, the national security state where, I mean, yeah. these are, these are sig significant, as any leaks we've seen in the past few years, I think, you know, there, there are maybe more blockbuster WikiLeaks files. I mean, the cable gate was incredible. You're sure. looking at the inner workings, how the sausage is made inside the state department and the 
diplomatic services around the world. So they're running color revolutions and ops and everything. But here we're seeing how one of the most powerful communication platforms ever created in human history is being influenced by the state. And people are like, but we already knew this. That's like what I see with a lot of like whiny player haters on the professional yeah, activist left. It's like, we already knew this. Why do we, you know, uh, or that's, then that's one. And then the other one is like, Matt Taibbi's covering for the richest man in the world. I, I mean, and again, look, I think old school reporters, right? Will, will everybody knows that every source you deal with and every story that you do has has motives, and that's part of part of what you're doing when you're reporting. You're kind of like negotiating the best terms that you can get for your readers. Um, you know, and, and your sources, um, you know, may not be in sync with you about, about absolutely everything. In this case, I actually, you know, I, I find myself thinking that Musk is fairly genuine in what he's trying to do here. And, and, you know, he may even have, um, bought the company specifically to, to kind of set fire to the, the press consensus through something like this, which I think is kind of kind of funny. So the um, opposite of why Piero Midiar bought the intercept to disappear the Snowden leaks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. This the, the the this was this was like uh sort of informational arson, which you know, as a journalist, I, I can't do anything but applaud. I'm sorry. Like that's just the, that's in my nature. But the, the look, the personal attacks, I think we all know that that's going to come um, when something like this comes out. But it's it, it's been a little bit surprising to me that there haven't been more people who um, are at these organizations who are saying, all right, like we, we have to like look at this a little bit. You know, let's assign our own people and to, to find out whether it's actually true that the FBI and the DHS are funneling tens of thousands of moderation requests, not just to Twitter, but maybe to other companies too. Like they have sources on this stuff. They can ask those companies um, and they haven't done that. And uh, that, that's been a little bit of a disappointment to me, like, you know, the personal stuff, whatever, but you know, I, I find that a little bit weird. Well, well on the left, yeah, go on ahead. the left, uh, you know, Max mentioned Jackman. They, they had a good article by Bronco Marchetich saying why the Twitter files are, in fact, a big deal. So that was one of the rare cases where I saw, you know, a leftist publication actually embrace what you're doing here, Matt. But for the most part, yeah, it's been silence or it's been derision. And it, I mean, my, my, my favorite reactions came in The Washington Post and The New York Times, the two main establishment newspapers. The, the Washington Post initially described Matt as conservative journalist Matt Taibbi. That's how they described you. And then they got mocked so much. Everyone made fun of them that, that, that they did a stealth edit. They took that out without acknowledging the change, which is very cowardly. And that yeah. happened before I even knew about it. Like, I wasn't me complaining about it. But anyway, well, on yeah. Twitter, all of us were just making fun of it because it was so funny. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, then, uh, and then the New York Times had this line about how your role, Matt, is controversial in media circles. Uh, and they explain why they, they say it's because you challenged the notion that there was collusion between Trump and Russia. And yeah, so that's why somehow you're you're a, they called you a polarizing figure because you dared challenge the dumbest conspiracy theory of all time. So that's been the establishment media response in the two biggest outlets. Uh, 
calling that you the Washington Post. Post. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. line in the Times is kind of amazing. Um, I, the, their whole thing was that my quote-unquote fan base shifted because I was, quote, this is the quote, I was skeptical of claims of collusion between Russia and Mr. Trump's campaign. So, like, imagine that. <laughs> first of all, that turned out to be the right, you yeah. know, uh, response. And second of all, you know, I, I think it's a window into how these people think because uh, in, in their mind, because... Uh, being skeptical of the yeah. Trump Russia story benefited or made happy Trump fans. That must mean that politically, that's what I wanted to happen. That that, that was my motive. Um, and you know, you, you were all in the same boat. I, it, it had nothing to do with that. It's just like this, this: these stories aren't true. We can't report on them. Like I would, I would happily do this story if, it, if there was anything to it. Yeah, uh, you, you were doing your job. Skepticism right. is required of a journalist because otherwise, you're just accepting official narratives on faith. Which, if that's the case, you might as well go work for the FBI or whatever political or party. Person Marsteller or whatever. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you want to make money doing it, right? Right? Sure. You know. <laughs> the mean, reason that this all triggered me so much was that it was obviously part of a broader campaign that transcended U.S. partisan politics to grease the skids for the Ukraine proxy war. I mm -hmm. mean, there was, the, the Russiagate was generated by a convergence of Clintonite dead-enders and cold, cold warrior neocons and actual spooks like John Brennan. And some of them wanted to explain the way the 2016 loss or delegitimized Donald Trump. They were, you know, election deniers, but in a good way. And then you had the, the spooks who have been trying to generate, to gin up a new cold war with Russia and eventually confront Russia militarily. And that's where we're at right now. And so much of the public was turned hostile to Russia during this period after the kind of ice breaking of the 1990s and Putin has been turned into the world's greatest enemy. Now he's responsible for trying to pit ourselves, pit our society against itself through the Parkland shooting and uh, take a knee. And, you know, he's capturing all of our social movements and using them. So that's why this was so dangerous. That's why I was really triggered by it. That's why I think Aaron was and, and, and you as well. It's not just about, you know, scrutinizing an obvious lie. It's about trying to stop a war. Well, it's yeah, yeah it's, it's been massively consequential. Uh, Russiagate poisoned diplomacy with Russia. It uh, set the stage for the proxy war in Ukraine, which was going on long before Russia invaded to escalate. Uh, Trump was pressured to send weapons to Ukraine that Obama wouldn't send. And then when he briefly froze those weapons, he was impeached. And that was portrayed as a grave threat to national security, which solidified the consensus that we need to arm Ukraine and keep this war uh, going. Uh uh, to, you know, as Adam Schiff said, we we aid Ukraine so that we can fight Russia over there and don't have to fight them here, which is a great, uh, a it's, great, it's, line it's a great callback from from the Bush years. But anyway, exactly. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 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 And by the way, Eric Cimarella, uh, the CIA staffer who Adam who Adam Schiff tried to protect on Twitter, um, he was a uh, he served on the under the Obama administration and was very active in Biden's role in Ukraine after the 2014 coup. Very, very, very active. And so I think his role in Trump's impeachment for, in which Trump was impeached after he briefly froze those weapons to Ukraine, I think, it, I personally think, 
you have to wonder whether he was motivated by a desire to keep the Ukraine proxy uh, war going and to uh, and to undermine Trump's decision to freeze those weapons, which it was alleged he did it to pressure Zelensky to investigate Biden, even though, as I wrote about, when you looked at the, at the details, there was never actually any, actually any evidence for that. John Bolton in his memoir says that Trump really just wanted NATO states to pay more for the weapons to Ukraine and not, not the U.S. But anyway, the point is there's a huge tie here, as Max is saying, between all this and the Ukraine proxy war and what we're having, this disaster we're having now. Yeah, and and... It's funny because the um, one of the first times, one of the first sort of aha moments for me was when uh, um, Schiff re- read the Steele dossier into the congressional record at, yes. uh, in that in those hearings, and one of the things that he talked about was this idea that um, that Trump had been given intelligence on Hillary Clinton in exchange for policies that de-emphasized Russia's invasion of U- uh, yeah. of Ukraine and uh, and shifted the focus to um, the burden of NATO countries to pay their bills. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he, he, again, he, he reads this out into uh, into the congressional record. And, and, you know, as we used to be for fact checking purposes, if something had been read into the congressional record, we used to call that a fact for for magazines. So that because we assumed that that had been verified. Uh, but I when I when I called up Schiff's office and asked them, "What's up with that? Did you guys check any of this stuff?" Because there were some crazy claims. They're like, "No, we're you know I, I think I told you this, Aaron. Like they 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 um, we look forward to talking with Mr. Steele. So, so yeah. you know, on live television, America, all of America is watching them making these outrageous accusations that they hadn't even picked up the phone about. Yeah. Uh, which, which tells you, I mean, that was a, that's a huge red flag that <laughs> something something really serious is up uh, if they're if they're going there. And it and it's it's really important because it actually shows not only the just the horrible evidentiary standards of those who push Russiagate, but also, again, the direct line between Russiagate and the war in Ukraine now, because this was one of the first controversies of Russiagate. And this is in the summer of 2016. So you have a Republican National Convention and there's someone there who proposes uh, some language, an old lady, Mm -hmm. an old lady, like an elderly lady who proposed some language that wants to basically make the language about arming Ukraine more hawkish. Like the platform already, by the way, the platform doesn't mean anything. It's all meaningless. Like whatever the platform text says, it doesn't matter. But this happens yeah. at every convention. And so, so so, this delegate proposes some harsh, some more hawkish language saying that instead of saying we need to send appropriate assistance to Ukraine to defend itself against Russia, she wants some stronger language about arming Ukraine. And then some other um, Republican delegates object to that. And somehow... This becomes this major controversy. Josh Rogan, the neoconservative columnist at the Washington Post, writes a column about this. And then shortly after that, the, the Steele dossier uh, has this entry where it says that, as Matt said, that uh, according to, according to Steele sources, Trump has been promised intelligence on Hillary Clinton and during Hillary Clinton if he agrees to uh, change U.S. policy toward Ukraine. And that became one of the early talking points of Russiagate. And it turns out that was just based it was, on and it. it was everywhere. Remember, it was like in every news story in the world, right? Yeah, it was huge. And just to show you what a fraud this was. So the idea that the Trump campaign watered down the Republican National Committee uh, platform to appease Russia and to undermine Ukraine. If you compare the final text of the platforms that summer from the Republican text and the Democratic Party convention text, 
on the same issue of arming Ukraine, the Republican text is still more hawkish than the Democratic Party one. But that just got ignored because that was used to help promote this idea that Trump was beholden to Russia and they were undermining Ukraine. And, and now you and that set the stage for this climate in which to oppose Trump, you have to support a neoconservative policy on arming Ukraine. And uh, it let it helped lead to the climate where diplomacy wasn't possible. Peace in Ukraine was not something to promote. And here we are today. So there's a huge tie between that climate and the war right now. Yeah, absolutely. And that news story was one of the first that should have, that was blown up, right? Because Mueller talked about how investigated it and couldn't find it. I mean, uh, Byron York actually did the first story where he called up everybody involved. um, And he uh, got some great quotes from everybody saying, no, this was a normal process. Um, There was a moment when a Trump staffer entered the room um you know i think it was the second vote but uh the measure was going to fail anyway i think that was the that was the upshot of the whole thing i ended up talking to the same people that byron did and this was a fake news story it was and it was repeated everywhere like uh, which was just a shock to me i mean i I guess i I should be embarrassed that I was already like deep into my forties and didn't know that this kind of thing was possible, but it was, it, it was, it was really bad. Like the, the, the sheer quantity of people and who were reporting. It also, shows, it also shows the feedback loop here because the FBI then used media reports about this as a basis for their investigation. So they looked into this and there's later on, there was an article about how, uh, the FBI opened up a second probe of Trump as a, being a Russian asset. This was authorized by Andrew McCabe after Trump took office. So there was the initial Trump-Russia investigation in July 2016. In the spring of 2017, with Trump in office, McCabe authorizes a new investigation of Trump as being like an agent of Russia, not just a conspirator of Russia. So you have two, actually, Trump-Russia collusion probes. And one of the things that McCabe based this on was media reports about the Ukraine platform change, which uh, which puzzled which officials. Came from, well. right, you yeah. know. But, which, which came from Democratic operatives and steel. Exactly. So it's like, you know, um, so it shows like the evidentiary standards were so weak that a media report was enough to get the FBI to open up an investigation of a sitting president as being a Russian agent. I mean, this is just it's insanity. It's absolute and, and, insanity. And, and not to date myself too much in this, but we, I think we all remember, you know, the how this was the same thing happened with the WMD episode where. Uh, you know, they fed the, the Bush Cheney administration fed Judy Miller and Michael Gordon um, a story about centrifuges uh, that uh, Iraq had bought and how they right. could be used to develop a nuclear weapon. And then the day after that story appeared in the Times, Dick Cheney goes on Meet the Press and says, oh, did you see the, the New York Times story? And so it was, you know, it's the same kind of... Um, sort of high school prank uh you know technology that they were using where they were they were generating a news story um based on you know this game of telephone where there's no actual evidence anywhere in it it's just a whole bunch of it's it's just the same story traveling to a a bunch of different places and they did that over and over again with russiagate and with with the you know sort of russian bots uh, Russian infiltration of of Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing, and um, you know they they learned that they that that was an effective tool. I think. 
Well, definitely. And, 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 you know, this wasn't just limited to Russia related to uh, Russian bots or the whole issue of Russia, Russia gate there, there, it relates to the U S hegemony. We had a, a commenter just now raise the issue of whether Twitter took measures under U.S. state pressure to um, censor accounts on behalf of the TPLF, the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. And that might seem like an obscure question, but within the Ethiopian and Eritrean diaspora, that is a major issue because there was an important hashtag tag, no more, started by a write uh, that down. <laughs> Ethiopian activist, Simon Tesfamerium. I'll give you all this. Okay. Uh, you know, he's a real guy. He's contributed to the gray zone. And this hashtag coincided with major marches in Washington, thousands and thousands of Ethiopians protesting U.S. support for the TPLF, which was waging this war and seeking to storm the capital of Addis Ababa. Um, and a lot of it had to do with Ethiopia taking a more um, uh, independent position in terms of its own foreign policy. But Simon Tesfumerim is still, as far as I know, banned from... Twitter. But I see, uh, Matt, you know, you're taking notes on that. There are so many issues. And this relates to uh, two other questions I have that I think are really important to get out. Now, first of them, this is something that I forwarded this to, uh, to, to Lee Fong, who also has been reporting on the Twitter mm -hmm. files. But this is, you see the label on my report. So basically, anyone who tweets yep. my link, uh, the link to my report, um, expo exposing other leaks, leaks we got, files we got, showing um, that the British Foreign Office was actually using Reuters through its charitable foundation, BBC through its charitable foundation, and Bellingcat, which we talk about here a lot, the US and UK funded uh, fake open source intelligence site. Yeah, the, as the, the fake WikiLeaks. Yeah. The fake mm -hmm. Wiki, anti-WikiLeaks, uh, using them as a information weapon and to conduct um, training seminars in order to weaken Russia. Um, that was actually the explicit language, weaken Russia. So uh, this is an important report on the Operation Mockingbird con uh, activities of the largest media, two of the largest media organizations on the planet and Bellingcat. And you cannot, it, Twitter came up with this label for my report. These materials may have been obtained really? through hacking. <laughs> I don't know that they were obtained through hacking and neither wow. does Twitter. Nobody wow. knows. So this is so, this is like an outgrowth of the Hunter Biden thing, where they 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 used hack, hacked materials, even though they weren't hacked. I guess they just created a new a new policy for this, uh, especially yeah. for you. So you should be you should be proud. You know? I, I was very proud, and it, it the 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 piece went viral because gamers started picking up on that label, and they would um, tweet like a GIF of Alvin and the Chipmunks having sex, and then. <laughs> And then next to my link, and then it would say these materials may have been obtained through hacking. So for them, it was just like a source of endless hilarity. Our site was briefly shut down because we were getting so much traffic thanks to the, the fun everyone was having with that label. But oh, that's great. Think of how many stories The Intercept has run in recent days, which are obvious CIA hack and dumps on Russia. Uh, one of them was hilarious. It was like a Russian network considered quoting Max Blumenthal, but decided not to. Like the ultimate gotcha. <sighs> Um, oh my god but but that those stories don't have the labels this label specifically for my story and no other story so 
I wonder if it would be possible to go to Twitter HQ and put in a request to find out what actually happened behind the scenes there. Who who put in this demand for that label and why? That's interesting. Let me let me take a screenshot of that because because uh, I had never heard of that of that um, of that label before because they 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 did give us kind of a list of of um, of things that they they do use like labels they do apply and um, and that wasn't one of them so so that's interesting yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, and then we, we might be able to find that out. I mean, it, look, it, it's it's a cumbersome process, uh, but but uh, it would be it would, it would be interesting to know uh, for sure. And you know, we we also don't, you know, to be perfectly honest about this, we don't we don't know how much some of these relationships with you know the FBI, the DHS, the you know the DOD, like have they been severed i don't think so you know like we don't know no and um, that relates to another question that i think a lot of people have in the chat going back to your comments on elon musk um being some kind of you know media arsonist and just taking delight in upsetting the hegemonic media elite but he's also a defense contractor who relies heavily of course on yeah. state so so you know wh where do his interests come into play here um i mean he's he personally he specifically said that you know the fbi can play a positive role on twitter i might not be getting the quote exactly right jimmy Dore did an entire segment torching him for that um so what what is what, what, I, don't, I don't know if you've had any meetings with elon or gotten a sense of him but but and but is there are there is there any insight you can offer us here on this issue so i've only i've only personally met him a few times and and um he, he's a difficult person to read uh i would say um my impression of him was was generally positive um maybe that's because um you know i was being invited to do this project so i was i was really excited uh but but uh you know he, 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 I've been focused very heavily on this whole issue of the relationship to, um, to the FBI and and to you know the other sort of agencies, and I thought we were making a lot of headway, and um, you know, uh, so, sometimes some of those things haven't aroused the excitement um, that I would have thought they would have. Um, but I, you, you don't know. Well, what do you so mean many... by that? It haven't aroused the excitement you thought that. Well, you know, I, I like I would, I might have thought he would have been like, "Wow, that's." All. I mean, he, 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 sometimes he is like that, right? Like, I mean, I, I can't, I can't talk about a lot of this because it's, 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 these are all off the record conversations. Um, yeah. But you know, he's he's got a lot of stuff going on. Like the company's losing you know bucket loads of money and there's dynamics that i don't understand going on like i know I, I know for sure because i've been told by other people in the company that our presence there is deeply resented and is considered like you know potentially um you know destructive to the entire venture and so there are people who are worried about their jobs and and um and are looking at us like you know we're we're our our presence there is a mere presence there is an insult 
So is that working on his mind too, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's really hard to say. Obviously you're right. He is a defense contractor, um, you know, and, and we are finding things that, um, that probably wouldn't be popular with, with people who would be inclined to give out defense contracts. So, you know, we'll, we'll, yeah, look, we'll find out when he, when he, when he turns, when he turns the faucet off, we'll find out. But so has far, has anyone uh, been stopped from reporting anything to no, your knowledge? No, and, no, I, and I, how, not, not, not to my knowledge. I haven't been so. Okay. And, and how are you invited and how, how is everyone invited? I mean, I would, I find it kind of ironic that I guess Barry Weiss is, playing this role now as an adversarial figure, but she's heavily involved in censoring and attempting to suppress uh, Palestinian academics and Palestine, Palestine related activists who want to speak out. Uh, she led the campaign against Joseph Mossad at Columbia. She is someone I would have associated with the, the neoconservative movement, which is now invested deeply in censoring these sorts of opinions. Like, I don't know if she stepped away. It's not like I've had some conversation with her, um, but uh, it's ironic. And I don't, I guess, no, I don't know if anyone's going to be looking into Twitter banning countless Palestine related accounts. Um, well, I would look how, at it. I mean, I've written about that a lot in the past. Yeah. Um, I, I, but but I, how, I, how was everyone chosen? I mean, I'm not saying you're a conservative journalist, but there does seem to be a certain, um, political through line and a sense of shared sensibility among those who were chosen well i think i think uh the first thing is that none of us are with the exception i guess of lee who still technically works at the intercept um you know none of us have a connection to traditional uh corporate media anymore right uh so that's probably the first thing i you know i'm my guess is that that he he uh wanted this to be a burn on traditional corporate press and, and, uh, and it, I think it has been so, uh, but I, I don't have any insight into, I mean, it sounds into, like he went with people who he trusts, which is, which is how it works. I mean, that's, that's where people get sources from is, is if the source trusts them. And, uh, I mean, I just or come he's back a to, fan of them. I mean, yeah, right. or if he, I mean, sure. Uh, but, um, but, uh, and also, um, for me, what, what matters is, is the material accurate or not? And is it, newsworthy and just i mean the washington post is owned by a defense contractor but if the washington post had a explosive story which they have sometimes uh, and they expose you know they've exposed war crimes for example in afghanistan they had a big series recently about uh u.s files and how the u.s covered up the progress of the war in afghanistan it's still it's it's valuable on its merits and uh that that that's just the reality of of the media environment that we're in is just like our, we, we have our overlords, they control our institutions. And the hope is that sometimes some factual information can get out uh, within, the, within those constraints. And I think with the Twitter files so far, uh, there's been a lot of great material as we've talked about today. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, um, certainly this stuff isn't coming out if, if this guy doesn't buy the company uh, for $44 billion or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's stuff that's come out that hasn't been um, pleasant for him, right? Uh, and he hasn't shut it down yet. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have to be thankful for that. It's not my job to be thankful for that. Like, uh, but it's, uh, I, I think, 
on the whole, it's a net plus. Like as long as the information's coming in, it's a tremendous opportunity, um, not just for me, but for any journalist to 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 look at this this information and, and cross reference it with other things that have come out, other leaks, other other types of um, investigative reports. And um, so I, I I I think it's been a good thing. And and um, you know the question of motive. It's it's funny how people only selectively bring that up to me, <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned. Like you know, mo- sources always have motives, and and you know, we, we, what's important is what our motives are um, when, when we look at the material. And the only I think the only ethical question for me is if I ever get the sense that this that the stuff I'm being sent is not what it's been represented. Um, then, then I'm going to have a, 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 an ethical moment where I'll, I'll have to say, I can't do this anymore. Or I can't say that, um, this right. is a representative batch or whatever. Right. Like, so that, that's the test, I think. Right. And, and do you have any idea, uh, what was going on here? <laughs> no, I don't. Although I think, I think I, re- I think I might've even texted him the day after that. Uh, he's a busy guy. Uh, he, he's, he's all over the place. Um, but I have no idea what, you, I mean, like I, I was in the middle of putting together the, um, uh, this thing of, I, I think that was that the day before Christmas. Do you think that, uh, yeah, it was uh, tw- de- December 23rd, maybe. Yeah. World cup final. So it was, uh, I think. Yeah, World Cup final might have been December. I think it was on my birthday, December eighteenth, but I could be. Oh, that oh December eighteenth. Okay, so that's a different uh, one. Yeah, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I remember I had been pulling an all nighter, and then I looked up to see that photo, and I was like, what the fuck? But um, I was wondering if Kushner showed him the Zapruder tape the way he showed it to his father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, but you know, he's. He, I, so you texted him, did he, what did, what did, I mean, did he say anything about that interaction or what he was doing? No, there? no. I mean, like he doesn't, I, I, I'm not the sharing type. I mean, he, he, okay. he got along well with, with, with Barry. Um, but, okay. uh, but he's been really, he's been very straight with me and, 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 you know, I, I, I think it's the, the, this whole thing has been, you know, not always pleasant for him and, and it's still going. So, um, you know, that, that, that's gotta be a net positive, I think for sure. Will he, will he sell the company? I mean, there have been a lot of rumors about that. Do you know any, do you have any insight there? I don't, I don't, I, you know, uh, I think, I think a lot of us who were involved in the project, um, you know, we, we did have some discussions early on when we were kind of all in the same room and we all had the same thought which was uh this thing no matter what it is it's probably temporary right because yeah. Yeah. because well, so- sooner or later something's going to happen there's going to be a congressional investigation and one day there's going to be like a whole bunch of lawyers are going to come through that door and this is all going to be shut down and yeah so our our thought was um let's let's grab as much as we can from the historical record before we start nosing around the present um and so so that's kind of we're still in kind of that place yeah um well aaron is there anything else you want to ask matt before we before we wrap 
No, I, I think it's a good place. I think it's a good place to wrap. And uh, Matt, uh, I uh, I just want to thank you again for all the work you've done. It looks very. It, it's a lot of material to go through. And uh, again, what you confirmed so far, not just on RussiaGate but on the other stories too, is just the outsized role of unaccountable intelligence officials and partisan operatives in influencing what the public is allowed to see and what information right. they're allowed to access on social media. So uh, that to me is the theme of the Twitter files. And I, I imagine there's more to come and we can expect. I a similar so. theme. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Elon said, we'll coo whoever we want. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's taking that, uh, that back home. It's all coming home. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 I hope that there's more i think you know we do we do have a lot of stuff that we haven't even gone through yet so i'm sure that there's going to be more more interesting material but um but anyway thanks guys for having me on yeah, yeah. i really appreciate it and uh you know hap um, happy to come on any other time anytime great well, well we'll we'll invite you back um i know you're really busy but we've been covering this intensely we're also covering you know we'll, we'll feature this conversation on the gray zones pacifica show which is airing at KPFK LA on Tuesday at 5 p.m. and WBAI New York Sundays at 6 p.m. Um, so, you know, if you missed any of it, look for it there and at my uh, my own podcast, which you can find on Anchor FM or Spotify, just search my name. Uh, we're also at rockfin.com. Uh, just, I guess, the last question, Matt, are you planning to turn any of these files and you're reporting on this into a book? Um, I don't know. Maybe it depends. Uh, depends on how it kind of ends, but, um, it could be, it could be a really, a, a really interesting book, uh, and, and surreal. So, um, it, kind of a combination of, uh, all the president's men and confessions of a dangerous mind. Remember that thing about Chuck Barris? Uh, there's, there's a little of both of those stories in this, but anyway, um, I forgot to to say uh, thank you to both of you guys for um, sticking with these topics throughout all these years. Be, you know, before files like this leaked out, because um, you know it was, it was a pretty lonely time for Definitely. a lot of us to, to, <laughs> during all those years. Uh, and I, I probably I, I would have it, it, it was really um, important that uh that you guys stuck with it all all that time and uh um, well it wasn't just lonely you got accused of being a like a literal russian spy if you <laughs> did it i mean right yeah exactly it was not fun for any of us so but uh but you know i i know you guys both took a lot of abuse and and uh and kept at it so uh cool. so th th thank you thank you for me thank from hey, yeah, likewise, likewise matt and honestly i have to yes there were some hard times but i also really enjoyed it too there was a yeah. it was so we're challenging something so that's such a transparent scam that it's not as if there were any moments where I was like, oh my God, am I on the wrong side? Am I doing the wrong thing? It was just it was just vindication after vindication and humiliation after humiliation <laughs> on the other side. So <laughs> I uh, I've really enjoyed it. And it's yeah, now, yeah. And now, now they've it, all moved on. It's like the right. same guy who did the reporting on the Russian bots is now reporting that Russian bots had no influence. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They'll, exactly. Just, they'll just recycle it. But yeah. anyway, thanks a lot, gentlemen. Really appreciate right, it. Thanks I'll for doing this. All right. All right. Um, yeah. Well, thanks again for being with us for another episode of the Gray Zone. We're going to try to be here every week with more great guests like Matt who are doing real reporting and uh, bringing forward insights that 
mainstream press won't give you. Aaron, uh, you're a busy man. You're working a lot of jobs these days. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Dore, I'll be guest hosting today at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time. So tune in for that. And, so you can uh, just kind of take a break right now. It's 2.30 Eastern time and then tune in to come Aaron. Come back for more. Yeah. To cover yeah. and we'll cover like <laughs> more or less the same topics. I mean, like Matt was thank Matt was thanking us for covering this, but we we just have like these monomaniacal personalities. So it's just like inevitable that we're gonna do it. <laughs> um and I think that's what journalism's all about is you take a story and you 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 just stay with it and you're you gotta be like a pit bull and you just keep digging your teeth in until you hit the jugular vein. Um, especially if you're in independent or alternative media. And I think, you know, we're finally seeing results there. Um, but the most important thing I think we can do is what Matt did, which is to reach out to these media, these legacy media organizations and demand that they comment and hold them accountable. So, Amen. And that's what we do. And that's what we'll continue to do. Uh, so thanks everybody for joining us today. And uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. Peace.